All right. Um, so we're going to be taking a break from our regularly scheduled programming of First Timothy for today and do a little bit more of a topical teaching, but I think it'll be falling along the same lines of what we've been talking about in First Timothy, and you'll kind of see kind of why we went this direction for uh, this week. Um, like, as you guys know, for the past few small groups, we've been talking about the law in particular from First Timothy, particularly how the law is a good thing for the Christian walk. And so we've looked at different areas in scripture uh, where we're encouraged to turn away from idols, keep the Sabbath holy, um, and that the law is a good thing for Christians. And so kind of keeping in line with that theme, I wanted to take a slight detour this week and talk about something that kind of falls under that umbrella, which is uh, spiritual disciplines. Um, and so some of you may be familiar with spiritual disciplines, and if you haven't already read Donald Whitney's book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, highly recommend it. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about it here and during the discussion as well. It's super convicting book, highly recommend it uh, for all of you if you haven't read it yet. Um, but I wanted to take some time tonight to kind of highlight what some of the spiritual disciplines are and how specifically they offer great freedom to the believer that engages in them. Um, so the spiritual disciplines is defined as those practices that are found in scripture that promote spiritual growth among believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. So they're considered to be habits practiced by God's people since biblical times and should be considered a natural component of the Christian life. They provide us with pathways to augment our spiritual growth and grow into spiritual maturity. And ultimately, they offer us means to grow in godliness. Um, and the purpose of spiritual disciplines is mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. Um, so if you want to turn there, uh, you're more than welcome to. It'll be kind of a brief snapshot that gives our thesis statement uh, for um, kind of how we look at spiritual disciplines. Um, and so the, patches, the passage specifically reads, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Some translations may have it read to train yourself for godliness or exercise thyself unto godliness, the King James Version, or train yourself to be godly. And so all of these translations paint a picture of some sort of spiritual exercise. So you can imagine training for an upcoming half marathon that you might be doing with your friends in May, or maybe an intense MRF that you're going to do um, with your friends sometime soon. Um, so you train in those capacities for the purpose of developing your muscles and your body to be able to compete or perform different strenuous exercises. Or you can think of going to bed early to wake up for an early meeting or to be able to get into the word. Um, or you can even think of studying in school for the purpose of uh, making sure you're doing well on an exam. So going through repetitive flashcards, reading through the chapters multiple times, all for the purpose of doing well in school. And so likewise, the spiritual disciplines are a sort of spiritual exercise or spiritual habits. Um, and the purpose of these um, is all for engaging in godliness to grow more in the character, holiness, and wisdom of Christ. And so when we talk about spiritual disciplines, I think it's important that we have some guardrails to kind of help describe them as we move forward. And so first, the Bible has both personal and interpersonal spiritual disciplines. So there are those spiritual disciplines that we practice um, by ourselves alone, and there's other ones that we practice with other Christians as well. So, for example, we're commanded to pray alone. So that would be a personal spiritual discipline. And we're also to pray with the church. So that would be an interpersonal or congregational spiritual discipline. And we're to practice both because Jesus practiced both. And because the Bible also particularly prescribes both of those for us. 
So in each of the four Gospels, there's an account of Jesus going alone to pray, thereby prescribing that personal spiritual discipline. And then conversely, in Luke 4, 16, and then in other areas of Scripture, um, it says, as was custom, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. So we don't want to think of spirituality or spiritual disciplines as just something we just do by ourselves, but we're also to engage others in the practice of spiritual disciplines too. Um, a second characteristic or guardrail we kind of keep in there is that spiritual disciplines are activities. So they're things that we do. Um, they're practices, but not attitudes. So um, these things would include things such as uh, Bible reading, meditating on scripture, prayer, fasting, worship, serving, stewarding, all of those. Um, but the goal of practicing each of the disciplines goes beyond just doing, more into being, being like Jesus and being with Jesus. Um, the biblical way to grow in being more like Jesus is through the rightly motivated doing of the biblical spiritual disciplines. So the goal is godliness, but the biblical means to that is disciplining yourself by the power of the Holy Spirit being rightly motivated in that. And so we are to discipline ourselves again for the purpose of godliness. Uh, another characteristic to kind of keep in mind is that spiritual disciplines are those practices that are taught and modeled in the Bible. So we want to be careful to make this distinction because that can make us susceptible to calling anything a spiritual discipline, such as gardening or exercise. Um, now, while those things can be good things and you can have a lot of enjoyment in doing those, we want to lean on what the wisdom of Scripture models and teaches for us. And we want to have a mindset apart, or having a mindset apart from Scripture will leave us to just think of anything is good for our own spiritual health and maturity. So we want to lean on those things that God has revealed in Scripture um, as the means of growing in Christ likeness, not necessarily just on our own wisdom. But then along those same lines, we should also see those disciplines promoted in Scripture, not only taught, but also promoted, um, specifically for being sufficient for knowing and experiencing God. And so I'm sure many of us are familiar with the famous passage in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 16 through 17, which reads that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Um, and so this would include the good work of then pursuing godliness. And so there are some people that might claim that exercise might make them feel closer to God um, and that they experience God most when they're walking in the garden and watering their plants and they have this big spiritual experience for them. And what, regardless of whatever benefit they may say that they get from it, we can confidently say that it isn't necessary. Because if it was necessary for spiritual maturity and godliness, we would see it be prescribed in scripture. Um, but then some of the spiritual disciplines in scripture include Bible reading and prayer, which are part of our weekly accountability questions, if you're part of those groups. And there's a reason why we ask about these two in particular, as they should be considered some of the most pivotal disciplines in our walk as Christians. And so the foremost of those disciplines rests upon those that involve the word of God with the reading, study, memorization, and meditation of scripture. And if we neglect this discipline, no other effort to discipline ourselves will be successful because we simply do not have the power within us to overcome the resistance of the sin nature in which our new nature resides. We do not have the power to overcome the resistance of the enemy whose aim is only to separate us from the only means of spiritual growth, that being the word of God. There are many instances in scripture that point to a regular practice of taking in God's word and the impact that has on the believer. 
Paul reminded Timothy of the inherent nature of Scripture, that it is literally from the mouth of God, that is God breathed, and such contains the power of God. And likewise, he refers to the gospel as the power of God and exhorts Christians to take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, as our only offensive spiritual weapon against demonic forces. And so we must begin any effort at spiritual discipline with the only source of power, that being the word of God. And that's why scripture memorization is commanded in scripture. We have the freedom to choose what we place in our own minds and memorization enables us to keep it constantly in the foremost of our minds. And that makes it possible to react to all life circumstances according to what it says. One of the most powerful passages of scripture regarding the necessity of memorization is found in Joshua chapter one, verse eight. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth, meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And so it is through the discipline of memorization that we're enabled to pray more effectively and meditate on that. And so then from prayer and from Bible study and scripture memorization then comes prayer, which is the second spiritual discipline we ask about. So our prayers are a spiritual communion with God through means of thanksgiving, adoration, supplication, confession. And the wonderful thing about prayer is that God meets us where we are at. He comes alongside us to lead us into deeper, more real relationship with him. Not one that's motivated by guilt, but that's driven by his love. And as we know, prayer changes us, prayer changes lives, prayer changes history even. And so our knowing God really makes us want to conform to Jesus and his will for our lives. God slowly and graciously reveals himself to us while we pray. And it's during those moments that we can more deeply understand and experience his love. Of course, one of the major outcomes of disciplined prayer is also answered prayer, but we shouldn't rely on that as our primary purpose of prayer when our primary purpose should be an ever-growing and unending communion with God. And so those are just two of the spiritual disciplines in the Christian walk, and there's a multitude of others. There's fasting, stewardship, solitude, journaling, meditation, silence. There's a lot even Donald Whitney's book talks about, and there's some we'll probably talk about during the discussion for today. But I think it's also important that we emphasize that these disciplines are means and not ends. The purpose of the disciplines is for godliness, to grow closer to Christ, to conform more to his will, his character, and living for him in all aspects of life. It's because a common criticism against the spiritual disciplines is that it focuses more on a legalistic mindset and condenses the Christian walk into a list of do's and don'ts. Um, There's some that would say there's a temptation to view the disciplines as something we would just check a box on every day and say whether we did it or not, and not have any much thought or joy in enjoying it. And some would even quote Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so some would use that verse and argue that pursuing Christ means that we shouldn't put any emphasis on our works and that being disciplined diminishes the grace and faith involved with salvation. That we shouldn't be continuing to just do works-based things, instead just rely on that grace. However, it is because of the grace and faith involved with salvation that we get to participate then in the spiritual disciplines. We don't have to participate in the spiritual disciplines, but we get to participate in them because of the freedom Christ gave us. As Christians, we desire to make changes in our lives for the better. 
When someone puts their faith in Jesus, they're transformed, they're renewed, they're born again. They're changed from the inside out, which involves changes in their thoughts, feelings, actions, and desires. And so we can see that believers have a greater desire for God's word, a greater desire to break patterns of sin, a greater desire to live more faithfully and grow in godliness, and spiritual disciplines are a means to grow in that godliness and grow in Christ. It would become legalistic, though, if we did see them, if, if we saw them not as means to godliness, but as the end to godliness. We don't become godly because we practice the dis, uh, spiritual disciplines. That was the critical error of the Pharisees. They felt by doing things they were godly. And while we can't be godly without the practice of discipline, we can practice the disciplines without being godly if we see them as the ends and not the means to Christ. But also for fear of being legalistic, we could rob ourselves of the benefits of a regular pattern of walking with God in the spiritual disciplines. The danger in confusing legalism and spirit-empowered discipline is that we can lose the very God-appointed means that are crucial for our ongoing growth, sanctification, protection, and intimacy with Christ. The greatest danger in neglecting the spiritual disciplines would be the danger of missing out on God forever. Not because personal piety earns anyone place in heaven, but because it characterizes those who are already on their way there. In other words, some who fail to practice the discipline disregard them because they have no appetite for the disciplines. And that they have no appetite for them because they would have no appetite for God. And growth and holiness is a gift from God. That doesn't mean that we're to do nothing to pursue godliness, just living the life we want until and unless God decides to make us holy. What we do is discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness, practicing the spiritual disciplines as a means of receiving his grace and growing in Christ-likeness. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. And so the grace of God to those indwelled with the Holy Spirit goes hand in hand with the efforts of the Christian. The desire and power for spiritual disciplines are produced by the grace of God. But Christians themselves must practice the disciplines. We cannot do what Jesus did as God, but Christian living means that we should seek to follow his human example of having a personal life in fellowship with the Father. Uh, another way to look at this is kind of looking at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Um, it reads, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So they're running towards a prize, and our prize is godliness. We are running the race to experience, conform to, and grow in Christ. So think of someone that's training for a half marathon, and so if they're running out on the streets and you know training for it, we wouldn't look at them and say, wow, the marathon's only three months away. They're running for no reason. Um, in fact, it would be foolish of us to think that they could just get up the day of the race and complete it in record time and then just cite that it's all mental. <laughs> it requires discipline and training to prepare for it. Likewise, that's the same for the Christian walk. The means of getting to God on a regular basis lie within the activities we do. 
As Christians, we have freedom to participate in these activities, and through the work of the Holy Spirit, we find joy in them. But I'm certain most of us would admit that at one time or another, our sitting down in God's word, praying, or even going to church has been purely a duty rather than a delight. But reading and meditating and memorizing and hearing and applying God's word is food to our souls. Apart from these disciplines, we would be prone to drift from the truth and susceptible to being swept away when the storms of life come. In fact, the times we feel least like reading our Bible or sitting in church are typically the times that we need it the most. If we neglect these disciplines, it will do more than keep us from legalism. It will keep us from the life-giving truth, hope, and power that we all desperately need. We need to stop making excuses for why we don't have time to read, study, or meditate on scripture, but through our habits will look differently depending or, or though our habits will look differently depending on the season of life, we need to creatively find ways to feed ourselves with God's word, especially in those drier seasons. And as we have one life, we have one race, and we have one chance. And so how we spend our time greatly reflects what we value in this life. And so scripture reading, prayer, and fasting, and so on, those are not the goal. Joy in Christ is the goal. Joy does not come to us if we are spiritually passive, but joy is cultivated, particularly through the things that we do. The path of discipline rewards us with freedom. We should not expect to develop godliness through one day in scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says to self-control, perseverance, and perseverance to godliness. The bridge between them is perseverance, and not just momentary, but a lifetime of perseverance. And so by means of the disciplines, we let the truths of the gospel restore our souls. Engaging in those disciplines given by God in scripture continually shows our need for Christ in the infinite supply of grace, mercy, grace and mercy found by faith in Jesus Christ. And so with that, I'll pray us out and then we'll open up for some discussion. Dear God, uh, we thank you for um, just your sacrifice on the cross, Father. The fact that you give us the freedom, God, in this life to engage with you, to follow after you, um, and to conform to your image, Father. Um, and as I pray uh, these words uh, tonight, Father, I pray that each and every one of us seeks you above all else, Father, that we don't seek to just read more of our Bible, to pray more, to fast more, but rather that we are seeking you in all of these things, that we have a purpose in mind, and the purpose is to grow more and more like you. We thank you for this time uh, this evening, and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.